0: Luke chapter 6 and verse 43, and and before we look at our text, would you please join me in prayer? Father, we come before your word, and and we ask of you that you would um, show us ourselves and show us yourself at the same time. By the Holy Spirit, God, help us to see ourselves for who we really are uh, accurately, bumps, warts, and all areas uh, we need to change, places we need to come to repentance, uh, sins that may have been hidden deeply within our hearts, would you uh, reveal that to us? And yet show us your love and your grace and mercy and your forgiveness and your acceptance of us at the same time. Show us your power over even the most deeply entrenched things. Would you please grant us the freedom that comes from knowing you and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We ask, God, that you would give us great joy in you, Father, all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is much easier uh, to hear the word of God than it is to obey it. And it is one thing to listen to it, which all of us can do in comfortable chairs. And yet it is entirely another thing to apply the truth of it into our real lives when we get up from these chairs. It is one thing to believe in the head and a different thing entirely to believe in the heart, the word of God. And in Luke chapter 6, Jesus has been preaching his word to his disciples, and he's been preaching to those who have been following him, and to the multitude beyond them from Judea and Jerusalem, and even all the way from Tyre and Sidon. And this message and this sermon has been recorded so that the extent of its hearers continues to all of his followers, even thousands of years later, and all across the entire globe. We can each read the same sermon. And it's not an easy sermon. Jesus opens his message up by describing the blessed one, the the happy ones, the citizens of his kingdom, his true followers. Jesus describes them as poor and as hungry, weeping, hated, excluded, reviled on account of him because we follow him. That it is upon these ones that actually rests the greatest reward that these are the ones most to be admired, who have lost all and gained Christ. And Jesus describes the rich ones and the full and the satisfied in the now, the ones currently smiling and laughing with good reputations in the unbelieving world, who welcome them in with open arms, that it is upon these very ones who do not leave all to follow Him, who are most pitiable and the ones with the most woe, the ones that the world typically envies are actually the ones who are most to be pitied. Now it's one thing to listen to that. It's completely another to actually believe it and sell all and give up all for the greater treasure that is Jesus Christ. Jesus preaches in the same sermon about an uncommon kind of Christian love that extends even to loving our own enemies and to do good to those who do bad to us. To give sacrificially even if we never get a return back. To demonstrate this kind of uncommon love because God has given to us an uncommon love. He has loved us who were his enemies, which transforms us so that the goal of our own lives wouldn't necessarily be self-preservation or self-protection or self-furthering, but that the goal of our lives would be that our God and our Father would be glorified in the way that we love and in the way that we treat those who are actually against us. Again, that's easy to hear. Much different to actually believe it and to live it out. And it's most recently that Jesus preaches to his people that we are not to be known for a self-righteous and judgmental disposition towards others, which is what a lot of religious people today have a reputation for, which is what a lot of Pharisees of Jesus' day were like in the first century always pointing out the sins of others, frequently stepping on others to make themselves feel higher and look and feel more holy. But Jesus wants his own disciples to be so much more concerned with their own sin than about another's, so that they might deal with their own iniquity first, so that they can then help others out of theirs, that we would be self-critical, that we would self-assess prior to looking and helping others do likewise, that our sin would be a giant plank in our eye, and that another sin might be more of a speck to us, that we would be primarily fretting over our own shortcomings than we do with another's. These are some of the marks of a true Christian, a humble love that characterizes those who have been loved by God himself. And so Jesus, in his sermon in Luke chapter 6, has called his followers to a very uncommon kind of life, and a very uncommon kind of love, and a very uncommon kind of disposition of humility, which again is a message that is much easier to listen to than it is to actually apply. But we must make no mistake, we do not really believe it unless we actually are living it out. And Jesus knowing that it is one thing to hear, but completely another thing to believe in the heart. Jesus in our passage and in the passage following this one, he calls his hearers to a little bit of self-reflection, which serves as a conclusion to his sermon. We read in verse 43, "'For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit.'" For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. As Jesus invites his hearers and his readers of his sermon to a little bit of self-reflection, he gives to us an illustration and a parable of sorts to demonstrate a concept which is very easy to understand and a principle that is elementary for our hearts to grasp. And that is that you can tell a lot about a tree by the kind of fruit it brings forth. That we can know with certainty what the tree is made of on the inside by what the tree bears forth on the outside. What is within will always reveal itself in real life. You know, my family this past week went to City Mill without me and picked up some plants for the yard and Braden is bubbling with excitement. There must've been like six or seven different little pots at home, but he had two lily koi plants. So I said, let's go outside and check them out. I can't tell one plant from the next. They're all in these little pots. They all look the same to me. And so I had to read each label to see what they got because they're just little sprouts. There's no fruit hanging off the plants yet. But hopefully in a few years, we will no longer need these labels. Hopefully there will be lily koi hanging off of those vines. And those big mango trees you drive by will eventually have mangoes hanging from them, some way more than others. But even a tourist who has never seen a mango tree in their entire life will know when they see the fruit, exactly what kind of tree it is. Likewise, an orange tree brings forth oranges. We had one in our backyard. I broke open the orange. It was powdery, dry, and disgusting. And so we cut the tree down. Bad fruit means a bad tree. But you don't have to be a botanist to discern what kind of tree it is when the fruit of it is hanging off of their branches. Again, the concept is utterly simple, that the outside of the tree reveals the inside of it. The fruit unveils the root. What is produced tells you what is within. What is seen is an indicator of that which is unseen. Trees bring forth what is consistent with what they are. And what Jesus is doing is bringing up that which is utterly and entirely obvious so that he can bring it to bear in our own lives what should be obvious, but we can so often deny. What is utterly blatant that we can turn a blind eye to, what might be a plank, and yet we refuse to see it. Jesus is using this illustration to show to us profound implications for each of our own lives because Jesus is not concerned with plant life at all, but he is concerned with our very own hearts. Verse 45, the good person... Out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. The human heart is like a tree. And our words and our actions on the outside tell us exactly how we are doing on the inside. The way we live our lives day to day tell us exactly where our hearts are at because people are as consistent as plants. We live out here what we really believe right here. And there is either a good treasure in here that spills out or there is an evil treasure in here that spills out. But either way, it always spills out. Whatever is stored in here is always gonna flow out of our mouths and out into our lives, always. But we don't often believe it. You know, when I hear screaming or crying in our house, usually from one of the younger two kids, I call my oldest son, Brayden. Brayden, come here. What's going on? What did you do? And usually the very first words out of Brayden's little mouth are the names of one of his siblings. Trent, Dane did this. No, 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 no. I asked you, what did you do? Yeah, I'm trying to tell you. Trent, dot, 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 And then I shoved his face in the couch. I mean, what else could I do? Never mind what's going on in here towards a little brother that God gave and gifted to me. But something outside of me makes me act the way that I act. Someone or something else is to blame. That is not how trees work. And that is not how human hearts work. And we can often do the very same thing, albeit in more sophisticated ways. Well, why the temper tantrum? Must be something outside of me. My boss just nitpicks me too much. My spouse is so unappreciative. My kids never listen to what I say five, six, seven, eight times a day. And we can so often point the finger and play the blame game that everyone else is responsible except for ourselves. Why the moping sadness? Well, obviously something outside of me. My career is not where I want it to be. Inflation has kicked my butt. I was saving for a place to buy and the price has just skyrocketed. My family's divided because of politics, COVID, blah, 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 blah. Lust, anger, discontentment. Well, that's because of this and that and this and that and this and that. But hardly do we trace the fruit of our actions down to the very root of our very own hearts. But the principle of our text is ever so simple that what we do out here is what we believe in here. Now, no doubt if everything was smooth sailing all of the time and easy, we might not ever get to see what's really inside of us. These things do not come out unless there is a catalyst. But these catalysts are merely secondary causes. The tough situation at work just squeezes out of our hearts what's already in there. The difficult relationship in your family just forces out what already exists within. The pressure reveals stuff that has been buried and hidden, so that it must come to the surface in the way that we respond. And so, Braden can say Trent dot, dot dot dot, and while that is true, Trent is merely the catalyst. Trent can't make Braden do anything; he doesn't have that kind of power. But the circumstance and the situation merely provides an opportunity for what is already inside. To express itself on the outside, which is likely a selfishness or a self-centeredness, which is being violated and therefore a glory mongering that is being unveiled. And so the question is not, how can I get Trent to move out? The question is more, why do I react the way that I react? Why do I find myself doing what it is that I am doing? We have to trace these things back to our hearts. And we have to stop and ask those very questions because often our immediate knee-jerk reaction is to change something on the outside. Change the situation or alleviate this pressure. Run away from that which is squeezing me. And so I need a new job, maybe a new zip code, maybe a new spouse, a new body, a new career. We're usually looking for some quick fix. And sometimes that is necessary. No doubt there are certain scenarios that you have to get out of, especially in cases of physical abuse or substance abuse and whatnot. But more often I would argue that most of the time when we are in these pressurized circumstances, we are just not liking what we are seeing coming up from within us. And we can't swallow the tough, tough pill that perhaps I am more responsible for my actions than my surroundings are that my biggest problem is not this problem person in my life, but my biggest problem is this problem person in my life. Because God often gives to us these precise situations so that we might really understand and really know how it is that we are doing spiritually. Now, when we look to the life of Jesus, we see the same principle being played out. The religious leadership of the nation should have welcomed Jesus with open arms, virgin birth, miracle after miracle, teaching with authority like no one else before. And yet this religious leadership of the nation, they plot to kill him. And in response, Jesus prays all night long. Flaggy disciples with thick skulls, Jesus washes their feet. He pays for their sin upon the cross fickle crowds, a family that thinks he's crazy, but what is the good treasure within the son of God's own heart? But love, 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 and a love that is undeserved, it spills out of him because whatever pressurized situation we find Jesus in, we see exactly what it is within him. When we see Jesus uh, seeing the place of worship for the nations being turned into a marketplace for the shady, so that people cannot commune with God, he gets angry, but it's not like our anger. It's a righteous zeal that his father's house might be a place of prayer for the nations. You squeeze him, that's what comes out, zeal. When Jesus is in Gethsemane, and there's literally blood dripping out of his skin because he's realizing more and more what the hours ahead of hold of him. We find this disposition of complete submission. Not my will, but your will. That's what's within the heart of our savior, being squeezed by that circumstance at hand. And even when it is that Jesus is hanging upon that cross, mocked and jeered and abandoned by the very ones who swore loyalty to him. We find him praying not for vengeance, but we find him asking the Father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, Luke 23, 34. When you squeeze Jesus, Even on the cross, this is what comes out. When we're looking at all the exterior fruit, we know with certainty what is within the heart of our Savior. Because no matter the circumstance and no matter the situation or the problem people in each one of our lives, all that they collectively do is squeeze out what is already within. And so it is if any of us are getting angry at work, muttering under our breaths, You go home and yell at the kids and you wanna kick the dog or silent treat the wife and just check out and sit on the couch and watch TV or stare at the phone. At some point, we have to call it it for what it is, that there's enough fruit of anger hanging off of our every branch, that the problem is not actually outside of me, but it is inside of me. Whether it is that we are absorbed in self-pity or envy of another situation, or discontentment at God's plans and purposes that this disciple really does think he's above his teacher because my plans are better than yours, O God. And if you would only give me what I want, then the world would be a better place. The fruit of that life, the expressions of it hanging all over the place, tell us exactly what is within, and it is undeniable And it is as simple as it is to look at a mango hanging off of a mango tree. It really is often as simple as that. To look at this anger or that anger or this or that and recognize that the tree and the heart within might be going rotten. And if the heart within has been turning, the solution therefore cannot merely be, well, count to 10 before you bust your lid every time you feel it coming. Count to 10 before you blow up. You can count to 10 all day long until you're blue in the face. That's just external behavioral modification that we can often fool ourselves with, which would be as ridiculous. Uh, A ridiculous equivalent would be stringing up some apples and hanging them on the mango tree. There, it's an apple tree. Because we can't fix what is within with something that is merely on the outside. You can try and try and try like every New Year's resolution and self-discipline will only get you so far because what needs to happen needs to happen at the heart level. The change that must occur is not behaviors primarily, but what is prior to all of our behaviors, which is our very own hearts, not the fruit only, but the root which makes that fruit possible which is where what we truly believe and love within each of our very own hearts. You know, brothers and sisters, this passage is not some mere afterthought to the real meat of Jesus' sermon. This text is not the part we're supposed to tune out of because we already heard the magnificent Beatitudes, loving our enemies like Jesus, the visual plank-eye illustration that's so memorable for ages. You know, as Jesus comes to the very ending parts of his sermon. He wants us all and he wants us each to do a bit of self-reflection and to take inventory of what it is that we say and what it is that we do. You ever mutter something under your breath? This past week I was installing blinds and the screw stripped from my drill. Start muttering. That stripped screw is not my problem as annoying as it was to try and get it out. But God gave to me a simple scenario, stripping that screw for me, if you will, so that I might see myself and my reaction and know where it is I'm really at and diagnose my own heart because knee-jerk overreacting isn't ultimately about a strip screw at all. It's about something much deeper. And God is calling us in these verses to take an inventory of all the kinds of conversations we've been having and all the mutterings under our breath to form an undeniable picture of what it is that's going on inside. He's calling us to take inventory of our relationships and the degrees of love that we have for people who are most difficult in our life to love, to help us realize more and more if we've truly understood Christ's undeserved love for us. Jesus is asking us to take inventory of our life choices and the decisions that we are making If we are the blessed poor and hungry and weeping because Christ is our treasure, I almost don't need anything else. Or if he's showing to us that we're on the wrong side of the line that he's drawing. That you know what? I'd rather be rich and loved and full and satisfied and have the world be my oyster and have her arms wide open to me. What are your life choices telling you about your love for Jesus Christ or about your lack of love for Jesus Christ? What are your choices telling you about your love for his church, his bride? Even the gathering together. A belief that it is utterly essential or non-essential. Conflicts with those around you. How is it that you respond or speak about them? Who it is that you want to spend the rest of your life with? What it is that you daydream of? Because at the end of the day, we are what we do. And how we live Tells us exactly what we really believe. Uh, Bob read from Galatians chapter 5 this morning for our scripture reading. That's a good passage to look at. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 24. Paul lists the works of the flesh and he lists the fruit of the spirit. And those things act like mirrors for us. Where am I seeing my reflection? It tells us more and more whether the flesh or the spirit is characterizing us more and more. The concept, again, is utterly simple, that the outside always reveals the inside. The fruit unveils the root. What is produced tells us what is within because what we bring forth is utterly consistent with who it is that we actually are. And so the question for us this morning is, is the fruit of your life Is it good or evil? Because that is the most accurate indicator of the hearts within us. And whether it is that we are merely hearers of the Word of God or whether we are actually doers of it. Whether we believe only up here in the head or whether we truly believe in a way that God is calling us to believe, which is right here in our heart of hearts. Now, if you're newer, you're newer here. These verses are not verses that tell us that if you try harder and get better and love people more, and if you don't only listen but actually do, then, 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 then you get into heaven. That would be the equivalent of hoping we hang enough apples on the tree, and over time the actual tree will change itself into an apple tree, the outside-in transformation, the fake-it-till-you-make-it transformation. But the Bible is clear that real spiritual and actual heart change can only occur from the inside outward. It's what theologians call regeneration. It's what Christians for years have been called being born again, referring to the new birth. This is why some Christians that you may know seem to be totally different than what they used to be and you don't really understand why. Same person, same personality, but something has completely changed. It's because they've been changed from the inside, and you're seeing the fruit of that change. The solution to real-life change is not outside in, but our lives have been transformed because God has brought each true Christian to a place where we come to recognize that the real problem is in here, not out there. The real problem is me, and I can't fix myself. I can't work my way back. But by the grace of God, I don't like how I live, even though I used to love it. By the grace of God, we cry out to him, make me new, only you can do it. I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to be like how I used to be. And my problem is way deeper than any count to 10 kind of solution because good fruit can't come out of this bad tree. And so God, make me into something else entirely. I can't trust myself. I need to put my trust into another. And for the believer, the person we put our trust into is Jesus Christ, that we trust his perfect life. We trust in his perfect heart. He's the only perfect tree that bears a perfect fruit. And yet, living this life we've never lived, sin-free and utterly holy. He chooses to die the death that we each deserve because of our sin. Jesus Christ chooses to die in our place. Give me the penalty that their wicked hearts deserve. I will die for them. And not only this, but he defeats death in his resurrection, and he burst forth from the grave in new life with a promise that all who believe in him will be given a new life and a new heart as well. Belief, faith, Christianity is not a system by which we better ourselves, but belief, faith is personally trusting in Jesus for this forgiveness of sin, for the gift of eternal life, for the transformation from the inside out and the gift of a new heart. All a person has to do is come before God and confess and own it and repent and ask that he would give you new life in Jesus Christ and believe in his love for you. It's not enough that you hear it. You must believe it and trust in it. For those of us in this room who are already believers, but perhaps in your own self-assessment of your own life, you may be realizing that my heart is not where it needs to be. Well, welcome to the club. We need to come to Christ like we did the very first time, in the same repentance and with the same faith, with the same confession, again, that the problem is not the people around me. My problem is not the situation at hand. These are but mere secondary causes, God, catalyst to show me my heart and how I'm living my life. And even these annoying things, I know they're gifts from you, God, so that I might see myself for who I really am. Because our issue is still a heart issue. And only you, Father, can do a heart-changing work in me. Bring me to your word. Bend my knee in prayer. Open my heart to the Holy Spirit's influence again and again. The way we change, brothers and sisters, is by coming to Christ in repentance and in faith. The solution to our deepest need is always, always, always to abide in Jesus. And while the Christian will still battle sin for the rest of our lives, we need not battle it without his grace. The way back is always the same way. Repentance and faith owning what is in here, and coming to Christ for grace. He loves you, brothers and sisters. He loves you more than you know. We just have to own who we are and come to him for the grace that we need. As we come to the Lord's table on the second Sunday of the month, this is actually a a God-commanded time for us to reflect on the blood and the body of Christ and to look at these things in our hands and know Jesus has given all of himself for the ones who least deserve it. He went in eyes wide open. He knew it was within each and every single one of us. And yet he gives all of his body and sheds all of his blood. It's a a visual for the gathered church as we look around towards each other. That we each and we all know more than anything that we collectively, we need him. And it's unifying in this way for in taking the bread and in taking the cup, we are admitting that we are broken. We are admitting that we are needy and we are proclaiming Christ is sufficient to save us. We are proclaiming his death, his resurrection, and we as one church family are anticipating together his return. And as we reflect upon him, we come to a place of self-reflection as well to take inventory of our lives as a checkpoint of sorts. To know what's in our hearts, come to Christ for grace, and to know more and more with certainty if we really believe this, and if our faith is genuine. Would you please pray with me? Father, we thank you for uh, this text, and um, we thank you for Jesus Christ, uh, savior of our souls, and, and yet preacher to our souls. He didn't just preach a fancy message, but he's trying to bring it home to us. And I pray that by the Spirit, God, you would bring this text home to us. Help us to see ourselves for who we really are, bumps, warts, and all. Help us to see the good things that you have already done to be, uh, to be an encouragement to us. Would you change us and help us from the inside out love you more and find the joy therein? Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ and everything you are for us in him. And I pray, Lord, more and more that you would make him everything to us. God, please be with us more and more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.